Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, March 31st installment of the Silicon Insider, the only uncensored look at life and business in the Valley. My name is Mike Malone, and I'm here with special contributor Scott Budman, technology reporter for NBC Bay Area. Our producer is Jordan Henderson. Our East Coast correspondent is Bob Grove. And our host, as always, is the Silicon Valley Business Journal. Okay, Scott, good to see you again. We've been... We've been away for a while. I'm up, still up on the coast of Oregon. Doesn't look like, but the ocean's right there. <laughs> I uh, trust that it's gorgeous and uh, good to see you, if even remotely. Good to see you. Okay, so how's our favorite trial reporter? You're back in the game again. Yeah, you know, the, the uh, Theranos trial part two. Sunny Balwani. Yes, Sunny Balwani's version. And it's starting pretty slowly, honestly. We have the same type of, uh, in some cases, the same actual witness that we had for Elizabeth Holmes, starting off with um, employee turned whistleblower Erica Chung. She had a rough go on the stand having to relive uh, what she called a really rough experience, trying yeah, yeah. to be a whistleblower at first, trying to tell people, hey, these machines don't work. These tests are not coming in with uh, accurate results. Um, she says she was bullied out of the company by, among others, Sonny Balwani. She had to face him in the courtroom. It was emotional for her. Her testimony finished, um, and now we're on to what is likely to be a succession of lab directors, um, because that's what we saw with Elizabeth Holmes, a series of lab directors to say, hey, we tried, and it didn't work, and we still put these machines into Walgreens to test patients, and it seems like that's where we're going again. Okay, well, were there any discrepancies between the testimony, but her testimony in the Elizabeth Holmes trial or contradictions to the one she gave here? Not really. I think she's been used and, and she was used also in the Holmes trial to establish what was going on, right. i.e. here was a young person who worked a lot of hours. She was smart. She got out of Berkeley. She worked in this lab and she had an idea that things weren't going well. And if you look at someone who was likely new and had stock options, you know, a stake in the company, and wanted to prove, hey, I can do this well, and still thought, now nah, I got to let everybody know this is bad. I think right. she was a good example in the Holmes case, and will be a good example in the Balwani case of just how um, how this sort of hit their conscience right away that they thought we can't go through with this in good conscience because we're doing something wrong. Well, I mean, she's coming out as one of the heroines of the story, you know, that she actually listened to her conscience, which is sometimes rare in this town, you know. Uh, give me the sense of the vibe of the trial. How different is it from the Holmes trial? The vibe is very different because- Not there's a carnival this time, right? I was gonna say those exact words. <laughs> when Holmes was on trial, not only did you have a pack house of reporters, you know, journalists, but also you had her friends, you had lots of family members, you had people who were just there to see the trial. I mean, dozens of people that I met who were just there to see the trial. And that led to people cosplaying, you know, dressing up like Elizabeth Holmes. We had people selling blonde wigs and turtlenecks. There was a carnival atmosphere. None of that has happened so far with Balwani. Not that I expected people to dress up like him, but we just haven't seen the number of press. We haven't seen the number of visitors. They don't even have an overflow courtroom. And I was in the overflow courtroom pretty much every day. And I was showing up some days at 4.45 in the morning and was sure, still sure. in the overflow courtroom. So it's um, it's a much different vibe because Sonny Balwani simply is not a celebrity. Right. What kind of vibe do you get from him? 
he's been he's quiet. Been yeah. Yeah. You know, I notice when we do say, hey, do you have any comments? You know, he's not commented, but he has smiled. I think he's probably trying to work on his image, which wasn't all that great before the Elizabeth Holmes trial. Many of the articles in the book Bad Blood showed him as a heavy, a really mean yeah. guy. And then his reputation took an even further dive during Elizabeth Holmes' testimony, as we all know. And so if there's any chance whatsoever that his team wants him on the stand, they really have to do some work to humanize him um, because so far he's been a bad guy uh, with a really low reputation, not just in Silicon Valley, but personally as well. You know, in my experience, you see you, some of these guys, they actually take on the persona of the ogre at the office, the hatchet man. But in real life, they're not necessarily that way. They're not fun people in real life, but they're not that person, you know, the one that the world sees. Do you sense that in him or is it or is he monochromatically the way he is? No, you know what? I think you bring up a good point, because another big difference in the trial so far in the opening statements, Balwani's attorney said he was just a shareholder. You know, he was the money guy. He helped the company get off, you know, get going. But he wasn't a science guy. All the decisions were made by Elizabeth Holmes. So right off the bat, he's trying to stay. I was just a stockholder right off the bat in the Holmes trial. She admitted the buck stopped with me. I was the CEO. Yeah, yeah. So he's taking a different tact because obviously it didn't work very well in the case of Elizabeth Holmes. So I doubt because we're going to hear testimony that says otherwise. So that's why yeah. I doubt he will come off as just a shareholder. But clearly, he's trying to position himself, actually, as something of a victim. And I expect if he does take the stand, he'll say, yeah, I was the guy that had to do the firing so that Elizabeth could go talk to the press. I had to handle that, and that's hard. And I came across as rough because we were losing money, and that's a tough thing to do. But really, I'm a softy, and I'm just here to spread my money around. But I don't know if he'll even get a How chance. How does that work with the employees that are like, still traumatized, you know, two years later, you know, it it's work. kind of hard to say, oh, I just had to fire people. You know, everybody's got to do that once in a while. You know, and then there's a person shaking on the stand saying, I, I still have nightmares about this. You're absolutely right. And look, he says, I'm just a shareholder, but he was the chief operating officer of a $9 billion company. That's a powerful position. Nobody out there is going to say, oh, Cheryl Sandberg. She's just a shareholder. Yeah, that's you know? he's not he's not the little old lady from Iowa that shows up with one share at the at the annual meeting. Yeah, far from it. Right. So uh, we've just sketched out the entire trial that may or may not happen. It could be fan fiction for us, but that's likely how it's going to go. And again, I, I don't see that. I'm just a shareholder excuse yeah. uh, play. I'm amazed. I'm amazed he didn't settle this thing. Me too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the bet noir these days of Silicon Valley. We got another Facebook story. I mean, can these, you, you've said many times, these guys cannot get out of their own way. But I'm beginning to think there's something even more malevolent behind it. I mean, this time, well, you sent me the story, but after looking into it, it's appalling. Facebook promoted bad news about its competitor, uh, secretly planning stories. You know, I, I, we see this every once in a while. My understanding is Salesforce did that to Siebel Systems years ago. But to have Facebook, I guess because Facebook has been buying the zeitgeist as it goes along. You know, WhatsApp and, and Instagram and all that. They didn't get TikTok. And now TikTok is winning. 
And so they, they seem to be wanting to try to take down TikTok by any means necessary. Yeah, first, a little bit of history. As you said, this has happened before. Uh, we've seen it with you know the, the software wars. Facebook itself was caught planting stories about Google years ago. I think it was like 10 years ago uh, when it hired a, uh, a Silicon Valley PR firm to do just that, and they were caught. Remember when uh, Larry Ellison admitted that Oracle went through the trash of its competitor, Microsoft? I mean, we know these things happen, but, and this is some great reporting. Well, and Yahoo, Yahoo threatened uh, eBay but yeah, I mean, years ago. Right, and we've seen these things, and this is another case of a company trying to get away with something and getting caught. Great reporting by the Washington Post and Taylor Lorenz to find out that indeed, Facebook had been planting stories about TikTok and the, I believe it was the slap a teacher meme. And I remember my teenager saying, whoa, there's a slap a teacher meme. And me like as a parent saying, well, I never thought I'd get to this point in life, but hey, maybe don't slap your teacher, you know? And if this somehow became a story on the news that, oh, TikTok is telling uh, students to slap their teachers. This is just the decline of Western civilization. And it turned out that Facebook had actually launched this thing itself and said, hey, TikTokers, here's something to do and we're gonna talk about it. And it's just shameful and right. Facebook has some built-in problems, which is how you get Cambridge Analytica and January 6th and all that stuff. Um, but the idea that it's still aggressively doing things like this uh, just makes the whole thing even even worse. Well, it's good to see, it's good to see the Washington Post I, by the way, we should mention you're somewhere at the at the at the news station, right? <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm holed up in an edit bay here. So yeah, I can, uh, I can hear I can hear the loudspeaker in the background. Some stories breaking out there. If there's a big one, let me know. We'll all duck. Um, no, it, it, thank goodness for the Washington Post on this one. You know, they've they've missed a few. They've whiffed on some big ones. Notably, they just discovered Hunter Hunter Biden's laptop two years later, but. When it comes to the tech industry, the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal are doing a good job digging into these guys. Uh, I assume that what Facebook did was it planted stories in the trade press. Is that true? You know, or what the article had said was- go elsewhere. Right, and, and you know, they, will, they would have their PR team call journalists and say, hey, look what TikTok is doing. And this is what they did back in, I think, 2011 with Google. Yeah. Look what Google is doing. And, um, and again, I, you know, if Facebook calls you to tell you about a social networking problem, you know, take a step back uh, because Facebook is a huge social networking problem. But I, I get that there's competition and I get you want to get in there with the gloves on and fight TikTok because TikTok is such a major force. But this just makes it manage to actually make TikTok look better <laughs> and Facebook. <laughs> and that's, right, that's quite the feat that Facebook has pulled off here. Yeah, well, as long as we're on astroturfing, did you read this? The Have you ever heard of the Connected Commerce Council? Yes, uh, but only this week. Yes. So it's a grass it's supposedly a grassroots movement. I always get nervous when I hear that phrase cuz who's the money behind it? Uh representing small business owners. I mean, this is so cynical. I can't believe it. small business owners to uh come out in support of the oligarchs, uh, in particular Google and Amazon, and and they went. The uh, journalists went out and talked to some of the people who'd signed up for this this council, small businessmen all over America, and they said, "We don't know anything about this." 
So we have a phony organization saying that small business owners are really behind increasing the power of large tech companies. Uh, this is remarkably cynical. I mean, somebody literally sat down and came up with this evil idea. Uh, and it probably broke the law with this list of members uh, and subscribers and donors. It appears to be entirely backed by Google and Amazon. Uh, it surprises me a little bit about Google, not about Amazon. Yeah, but I mean, I'm surprised by the whole thing because at this point, these scams, I don't know what else to call them, um, you know, being perpetrated even by these giant companies, they get caught. I mean, we hear about scammers getting caught all the time, whether you're trying to steal Bitcoin or trying to, you know, uh, social engineer. Remember, I think it was Kevin Mitnick that came up with that term to call people and say, hey, here's a good idea, but it's really a scam. Um, and now their reputations are tarnished. Uh, in one week, we saw Facebook and Google and Amazon all get their reputations tarnished because they have their hand in, in a really, really ugly cookie jar. And sort I just, of. Yeah. 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 Um, I heard from Bob Grove, and he, he did read one line about this. Yeah, do no evil. Um, <laughs> well, that went out long I, ago. Yeah. I remember when they were, when Google put out that prospectus, and I was talking to Eric Schmidt because I had read that statement by the two founders, Sergey and Larry, and that crucial thing, do no evil. And I, and I remember I said to him, isn't this going to come back and haunt you? And he said, maybe, but that's what the kids want. So, you know, I wonder how many this Google gets hit in the face with that line on a regular basis. And they obviously don't believe in it anymore. Or they're deluding themselves that they they are on the side of the angels, but this is just sort and low, and it's taking advantage of people that are already in you know in tough straits right now, and, yeah, and you know make them allies. Right, and this is starting to bleed down into young people who are uh, at the college level or looking for those entry level jobs, and the default would always be, especially if you had a computer science uh, you know degree or something. Hey, let's get into Facebook. Let's get into Amazon. Let's get into Google. Let's get into Facebook. Uh, you know, some of these companies, Microsoft, Salesforce, whatever it is. But now um, tech has this reputation and they're earning it every day, unfortunately, of being below the level and of, of being scammers. I mean, does Amazon, does Google need to do this to have a successful business? Not at all. But this is what makes headlines. And this is starting to be how they are seen by young people. Gee, do I want to go to work for this kind of an organization? Yeah, and this, is, this is what kills companies, kills right. big companies. It doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight, but slowly they start losing the strength of their intellectual capital as the smart people decide, I don't want to work there. I don't want my friends to give me a hard time because I'm working for some evil company. It damn near killed Microsoft, you know, right. and, uh, it could happen to these companies and it doesn't you can't believe it right now because they're so strong and powerful but this is how they slowly erode from the inside and then products don't get out on time they start getting in there they start tripping over themselves okay let's go on some companies that are doing really good uh tesla wants to split its stock again i remember it went five to one in august 2020 and now it wants to do a two for one split in order to pay a stock dividend to its shareholders. Yeah, and this is a company that by now should be paying a dividend. Why not? Uh, Why not? It's, it's profitable. It's as mature as, yeah, I mean, 
to use the word mature with Elon Musk, but yeah, it's a mature company. It's cranking out the product of the future that people want. Um, it's promising. It hasn't quite yet delivered on the promise of an EV for everybody, but I'd say that it's getting relatively close. Um, and it's really what people see when they look into the future. And you know, you can knock Tesla because it also has made a lot of mistakes, both because of its CEO and his braggadocio on Twitter, but also some of their um, assembly line workers complaining, and those are valid complaints. But just from a stock perspective, investors cannot get enough of Tesla. Um, after a five for one split, the stock is still above $1,000. You know, do the math, this is remarkable. It's a, yeah, it's a trillion dollar company that has not made anywhere near the profits that a trillion dollar company should make. But still, what is a stock? A stock is what people see and buy when they look into the future or sell when they look into the future. For Tesla, they've just been buying and you know, say what you will about the company and I'll be the first to, uh, to criticize it, but its stock performance has been nothing short of remarkable. Okay, now, you know, historically, there's always been a debate in Silicon Valley about stock dividends. It goes all the way back to HP and, you know, those early companies. Their attitude was, yeah, the big East Coast companies are stuck in this, you know, endless process of having to put out a dividend any quarter, every quarter. We want to take that money and reinvest it in R&D. So you really didn't see dividends in the Valley until what, the 90s? And now, now, now people are, now, like with Tesla, investors are starting to expect those dividends. And I'm not sure if it's a good thing or it's not. You know, you want these companies to stay innovative and invest a lot of money. True. But uh, but what you said, I think that debate is still going to be around and I think you can make um, a good case for each side. But yes, yes. Um, once a company is profitable, you know, we assume they're peeling off some of that money into R&D. And why not give the shareholders um, a, a thank you, a, a guarantee? Right. Isn't that what a dividend kind of is like? Hey, if you that's what it, yeah, it's a guarantee, you know, segment of the of the profits now instead of saying, oh, no, you're going to make all your money on the upside 10 years from now. Right. And, and you know, if your stock is performing like Tesla, you don't have to pay a dividend to keep shareholders happy. But eventually, when you get to be a mature company, and that's why those East Coast companies said it, and companies like HP and Intel and Cisco have said it, um, there's not going to be quite as much uh, gain if you hold the stock. Right. So giving right. a dividend says, ah, there's something guaranteed no matter how the stock does, because we want to share with you our profits. And remember in 2008, when a lot of those profitable companies became unprofitable, one of the first things they did was to cut the dividend and people got angry, but I understood because there was no profit to share with investors. Yeah, and yeah. now Tesla is admitting, hey, we've got a lot of profit in here. Sure, we'll keep with R&D and we'll come up with the next whatever it is that we're going to build and delay. <laughs> but meanwhile, we're going to give you sort of a thank you for, for sticking with us all this time. I also, yeah, also you, what you just said, increases increases stability. You know, there are a lot of people out there who buy stock like GE stock and General Motors stock for the dividends as a guaranteed income, you know, in the years to come. And that, right. so they'll stick with that stock. So maybe that's, you know, the transition point between being a hot startup and being a mature company comes when you announce that first dividend, because now, you don't want that volatility, that froth, to use your favorite term. You want shareholders to stick around for a long time. 
Right. And one thing that cuts down on volatility is, and this is also a debate, do you split or do you not? But if you split the stock, you're putting many more shares out there. And right. that makes things less volatile because it's harder to move way up or way down. And at some point, you know, a Tesla shareholder that's been through this roller coaster ride is probably saying amen to that. I want to stick with this company. They are the future, et cetera, et cetera. But it would be nice not to have $100 moves up and down because that's my blood pressure. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, Elon may be crazy and, and Tesla may be unpredictable, but give him credit. He hired a pretty smart financial department, yes. you know, they seem to be the one stable thing at Tesla. Very true. Okay. Another company is doing incredibly well. Apple. You know, every everything else seems to be in chaos out here. You can't get milk at the supermarket, but <laughs> Apple is having its best winning streak on the market since 2003. Think about all that Apple's been through since 2003. And this is the best period for its stock in the midst of inflation, war, and everything else. That says something about that company. 11 straight days of growth, and its market cap is now bumping up against $3 trillion. Yeah, you know, Apple is sort of the anti-Tesla. It's tech, and so you know it's got, and people feel very strongly about its future, but you know it's got that maturity. You know it's not going to go up or down 100 bucks a day. They've obviously split a lot. They have a ton of shares out there. Everybody feels that their leadership is stable and solid. You know, they're the quarterback that protects the ball and moves you down the field, and everybody loves that. And so in a time of volatility, people are saying, where should I put my money? I can't find a house to buy because there's nothing on the market. And Bitcoin is a little crazy. Uh, ah, Apple. Yeah. That's a solid company. I'm in the tech game, but I'm not doing the crazy stuff. Hey, all credit, all credit to Tim Cook. Great quarterback, does guard the ball. I'd like to see him throw another, throw at least one bomb out there, go do a Hail Mary. But, you know, he's created, he's created a high-tech company that is completely stable. And... You know, we were talking a few weeks ago about them cutting back production on the iPhone and going, ooh, maybe that's a sign they've peaked. But demand for iPhones apparently is still just as high. Yeah, I mean, Apple has been hit, I believe, by some supply chain issues. And that is enough to make some people a little worried because after all, this is the most valuable company. They have a, a, you know, a high standard there. But even with that, I think this 11-day streak of the stock going up says people are willing to understand that Apple is going to face the same sort of climate economically that the rest of us are facing. And interestingly enough, they say Apple will be fine in the long term. And again, you buy a stock for the future. And even in present times of a little bit of rockiness for some of these products, I think people still look at Apple and they're confident that whatever it takes, speaking of a strong financial team, Apple will get through it. I also think Apple's scandals are 6,000 miles away. Facebook scandals are right here in our living room. Right. You know, it's much more immediate. You can feel bad about what's the Uyghurs and what's going on and, and explo exploitation in China, but you don't see it. Your kids are experiencing the problems on Facebook and TikTok and all of that. So, right. in, yeah. Uh, the SEC, we, we were wondering when this was going to happen. They're proposing new rules and investor protections on SPACs. Are people still doing SPACs with the same kind of numbers they were a few years ago? I mean, when we started doing this podcast, it seemed like there was one 
being created every single day. Yeah, and there was, and um, and the answer to your first question is no, they're not as much. And I think the you know the things we talked about when people were spacking it up so much is hey, there's just not as much due diligence going into these companies, and so investors are taking a bigger risk than with a regular IPO, if we could just use that term. And I think those um, fears have come home to roost, not only because investors are backing out, look at some of the prices of some of these SPACs. Um, and I think if you're a, a company that's SPAC'd um, uh, and, and are legitimate and legitimately trying to do the right thing, you're still suffering because the overall, oh, they did it by an SPAC is coming back to haunt companies. So good for the SEC to get in on this because we need to clear out some of the detritus. One of the shows, and there are many of them right now on Silicon Valley startups, you know, you got your Hulu show about Theranos, okay. you've got one on Uber, and I'm, I'm watching the one on WeWork right now. And, you know, we were watching last night. My wife our was like, favorite, oh, our favorite company when we first started. Yeah. And she's watching this and thinking, what a disaster this turned out to be. And I was like, well, here's the kicker. This company <laughs> is publicly traded. <laughs> and yeah, it's like, yeah. how in the world did that happen? Well, they cleared out everything. They paid off Adam Newman and Rebecca Newman and they spacked. And so the stock hasn't gone anywhere and it's still WeWork. That's, well, I guess they call it We. Um, but that's the kind of company that, gosh, how did they ever go public? Well, an SPAC. And that's why I think the SEC is looking into this and, and good for them for doing it. Okay. Uh, and also Twilio is uh, being charged by the SEC for insider trading. We're starting to see the SEC pick up steam on all of this stuff. If you notice how much more active they've been, you know, the laissez-faire attitude about Silicon Valley is now long gone. Everybody's watching. Right. I mean, yeah, the Biden administration has people in there that are younger and hipper and understand and know how to go after tech. And, uh, and right, I, I mean, uh, you know, I'm on the second Theranos trial, for goodness sakes. I mean, these companies need to be held accountable and that's what the SEC is supposed to do. And so, yeah, you can say the Silicon Valley is a fat, easy target, but it's Silicon Valley's fault that we're a fat, easy target. So I suspect more of this to happen and hopefully these companies will clean up their acts. I was watching on uh, C-SPAN, a congressional subcommittee hearing on the ship shortage. And they had Gelsinger in there and a bunch of other people. And I was astounded by how intelligent the representatives were on the, on the panel asking the questions of the CEOs. And, and one of them even said, we, we now understand how important chips are to the United States of America. It was like, wow. Well, that took a while, but you know, welcome, welcome to the modern world. Uh, they were asking very intelligent questions about fabs and, you know, uh, offshore production and all of that. It was it was impressive, and I don't say that about Congress very often, but that was actually an impressive hearing. Um, Amazon, long as we're on companies in trouble, uh, or not trouble, perhaps Amazon, uh, its Alabama plant had its second union vote and drew fewer votes than the first. Uh, meanwhile, there's about to be a union vote at the company's plant on Staten Island. So throughout the organization, um, we're seeing companies, or especially Amazon, facing unionization. Uh, and it seems to be losing in the South. It ha seems to have much more chance of succeeding in the North. And, you know, I look at Starbucks announcing roughly at the same time, it's moving employees out of Seattle. You know, are we going to see 
more and more industry moving into below the Mason-Dixon line? Are we going to see, you know, Amazon or Starbucks based in Alabama, maybe not Alabama, but Texas, Austin? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it would be sad if it took a, 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 a people moving, you know, all, all these things south to fight the unions. But what's interesting is that these companies like Amazon and Starbucks that were supposed to be the end of the unions because they were going to pay their workers well and stock options, et cetera, are still um, fighting the unions, which means they're blowing it. Uh, I mean, nothing against unions. I, I believe in the unions, but these companies are built to avoid the need for unions and their employees are saying, nope, we still need a union, which means Amazon and Starbucks are not treating their employees well enough. And so we're seeing these unions jump in. And if it works at Amazon and it works at Starbucks, believe me, they're going to attack, uh, attack. They're going to try to unionize yeah, yeah. other companies. And, and deservedly so. These companies, if they don't want the unions, they need to take care of their employees. Right. You know, I was intrigued that the vote actually went down in Alabama on the second try because all of these stories out there about employees in the Amazon warehouses, you know, peeing in Coke bottles because they can't take a break and all of that. Um, I'd, I'd be very curious to see interviews with those Alabama employees, why they didn't want a union, given all of that stuff out there, all that, you know, scandalous coverage. I don't know. I mean, unions haven't had the force that they did in years right. past, but they're coming back because these companies are not taking care of their workers. Right. And, you know, maybe the first wave, people are still a little uncertain, maybe a little nervous about the right. union. But if indeed it can be proven that these workers are treated better and more fairly um, because of a union, the unions will come back and the tech companies that were literally built not need unions will have blown it and you know it's on them. Interesting, most union, successful unionization in the country right now is going, in, going on in academia. You know, as a professor, I get lots of letters, you know, we're organizing the um, uh, professorate, we're organizing uh, school employees, uh, adjunct professors are organizing. I Look, mean, that's a different it's happening in that sector, and it's not happening at Amazon, or at least successfully right now. That's a different podcast, but you're right. Academia is absolutely 100% right for unionization because academia is blowing it in the same way as tech. Right. I'm not going to get too far into this, but these are organizations that have a lot of money and are not taking care of their adjunct professors and TAs, et cetera, et cetera. And so they're saying, hey, why not unionize? And, you know, these organizations have to take care of their workers because the unions historically exist because workers weren't protected or taken care of. Well, and I sense that even if they're not successful in their organizing, they are keeping companies and, and institutions honest. Yes. You know, there's nothing like a union vote, you know, to make a company suddenly begin to behave itself. You know, and I've seen that in many cases, suddenly everybody's getting little raises. They repaint the, you know, the lunchroom and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so it would be interesting to see, especially since all the say, all the signs are we're going into a recession. And, you know, if, if employees are unhappy right now, just wait, you know, when they start doing the layoffs. OK, finally, and you sent me this one. I love this one. Walgreens is going to use robots to staff drugstores and fill prescriptions. You know, I, I thought about that and I thought was they're probably more accurate than that than the pharmacist with that little you know tray 
counting pills. Uh, they can identify the pills probably better. Uh, but more cynically, you know, there's no minimum wage for robots. I mean, this was the fear that if you work, if you drove up minimum wage too high, companies, and we've seen it now with McDonald's and other ones, start putting in robot kiosks, Walgreens now. But I also thought it's going to be a lot harder, given what's been happening at Walgreens in San Francisco, to actually rob a Walgreens when it's just a robot behind the uh, bulletproof glass. I mean, yeah, if you've seen RoboCop, are you going to want to rob a Walgreens now? <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, this, this whole robotics thing is is interesting because Walgreens and the other companies insist, no, it's not taking jobs. It's just making the jobs of the actual people easier and more efficient, and they don't have to spend their time counting pills. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it, right. it's, maybe it's not taking jobs, but it's not going to allow any more growth in jobs forever. Right. Right. And yet at the same time, it's it's a bit inevitable that some of these tasks might as well be done by robots because sure, sure. we're not doing the workers any favors. Uh, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what what I want is on the other side of the glass. We've always trusted, right, the pharmacist to get our order correct. You know, right. when we say we're this is our prescription to fill it correctly. Um, will we trust the robot? Like you said, it perhaps is more likely to be accurate. But is it more likely to be trusted so far? Well, all they got to do at Walgreens is put a, a monitor up and just put on loop. It's a wonderful life. That scene where the pharmacist you know, <laughs> makes poison instead of medicine. <laughs> That'll get people trusting those robots like crazy. Right. Okay. Uh, that's it for now, folks. You can find us on Spotify. Uh, on the Silicon Valley Business Journal homepage, as well as on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and LinkedIn. And you can find Scott at the uh, courthouse in San Jose for the indefinite future. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.